In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to St. Joseph's Chamber. And I'd like to explain to you how on earth it is that I became Catholic. I was baptised when I was three years old into the Church of England. My family was, broadly speaking, uh, Anglican, as were many, many people in uh, the UK from that era. And uh, and so uh, we went to Anglican Church and, um, and throughout my very young life, which I always found exceedingly boring. <laughs> um, no offence to the Church of England, it's just that's the way I felt. I came to appreciate it uh, later, certainly... Uh, carol services which I still really appreciate actually I love I love a good Anglican carol service uh, but it just wasn't working for us and so we ended up going when I was around nine oh no less than that eight seven eight years old to a Pentecostal fellowship and we were introduced to a very lively Christi- kind of Christian faith and when I, 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 I struggled with the faith when I was around about 12, 13, eventually ended up more or less abandoning it and becoming agnostic for six years, uh, practically atheist for six years, and d- didn't have any sort of, God just didn't feature in any way or even anything spiritual, actually, spiritual things. I know today we tend to have this, a lot of people say I'm not religious but I, I'm I'm spiritual um, back then I mean I, I just didn't think like that um, we're talking about the early 2000s and I, I I wasn't religious or spiritual you know I didn't I didn't just didn't want it I didn't believe in it uh, although I kind of knew that God must exist or it's you know likely that God existed and, and I've never had too much of a problem believing that God exists. My issue has always been actually believing. My, my issue was always believing in God. Uh, so I sort of, if you like, a distinction between knowledge and, and belief. I sort of knew that God, always knew God existed, but very distantly, you know, had, God had no relevance to my life, spiritual things. And I was a pure materialist right through my teens. And I started to come back to the... Christian faith when I was 19. I started to read the the Bible again and pray and had quite a profound experience then when I was 20, just before my 20th birthday. I was, it was a serious series of things, um, conviction of sin, real real strong conviction of sin, a a real sense that I have to make a full-blown decision. I can't be half-hearted. Am I going to follow Christ or am I going to leave this again and go back to the way I lived in my teens because for me I'm a very black and white sort of person and anyone who knows me uh, at least fairly well or maybe not even that well you know people know that I'm a very black and white person and I that's just the way I'm wired and so half-heartedness for me or sort of a middle way doesn't really tend to um be an option for me. I tend to take things to their logical limits, and it seemed to me that I need. You know, I'd been trying to sort of, sort of be a Christian for a year in my nineteenth year, but uh, you know, still, still swearing a lot, still doing things that I, I knew I really shouldn't be doing if I was, if I was a 
supposed to be a Christian. And so just before my 20th birthday, I was kind of hit with this decision. And, and in a moment, I just decided to, no, I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ and really take this Christianity thing seriously. Well, the, ch- the, change, was, the change was very big. And I think those who knew me could could hardly believe what had happened. Uh, I was I changed very very quickly and very radically as well. And um, I realised that I might have gone too far in that direction. <laughs> but um, <laughs> you know, and obviously made made mistakes. But my my heart was in the right place. And this was this was around about two thousand and this is two thousand and eight. So goodness, you know, twelve years ago. And that, and so I started going back to this Pentecostal fellowship, and I was really throwing myself into the into into the Christian faith. I was I was reading the scriptures all the time. I mean, I think in those first eight months, now into my twentieth, you know, twentieth year, those first eight months, I, I joined up with a Bible college. I started to study the Bible. I started to do a degree in theology. I had no idea where that was going to take me, um, or I just really, really wanted to get into the Bible. And, it, most of my spare time was spent reading the New Testament and sections of the Old Testament. So I, I flew through the whole Bible in about eight months and uh, and, and have tried to read it uh, regularly ever since. And uh, I just fell in love with it. You know, I mean, I, I didn't really like books very much before I discovered the Bible. But when I, start, with the new, when I started to read the New Testament, especially the New Testament, and, and really uh, read it carefully, you know, I'd have a pen and I'd take notes and highlight things. And it, it was really going in, you know, and I was, I was memorizing lots of verses. It just, I had never read anything like this in my life. So there's so much hope here. There was so much truth and so much, oh, the, the peace that was flooding my my soul, <laughs> flooding my heart, as they say. It really was, you know, I'd, I'd never come across, come across anything like this before. And uh, it was really giving me life, real, real spiritual help and aid. Um, so anyway, um, I was at the Bible College, and I, I, I ended up eventually working for a working for a church as, as their apprentice, and I. I stayed. I basically stayed as an evangelical, a Protestant, an evangelical for you know, evangelicalism and Pentecostalism. They, they've got lots of similarities. Um, they're not the same, but yeah, it was an easy cross for me from Pentecostalism to evangelicalism, and I stayed that way for um, until probably 2016. 2016. So a good eight years, uh, and I'd, I'd preach, preach in lots of churches, and you know, always very passionately took took my Christian faith very, very seriously. And um, something happened. <laughs> uh, well, a number of things happened, really, but something happened in 2016. In 2016, I was exposed properly for the first time to. Uh, Eastern Christianity, and specifically to Eastern Orthodox Christianity. I was doing a master's degree, master's theological degree, and I had to study the Eastern Orthodox doctrine of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they've got a distinct spin on how they see this. 
And I thought, this is really good. I really like this. <laughs> want to read more about them. And so at the end of 2016, I uh, began to study the Middle Ages. Now, this is a very... Most people know very, very little about the Middle Ages. Um, it's sort of disparagingly referred to as the Dark Ages, but uh, Middle Age scholars of the Middle Ages never refer, almost never refer to it as that because it, it, this this was not the Dark Ages. That's that's sort of a historical inaccuracy. It, it's 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 us moderns. We look back at that age. We think it's full of you know just darkness, and, and it's just not. It just wasn't like that. There, there was tremendous um, light and tremendous uh, high points of civilization in the Middle Ages, and, and, and all this was new to me. But, but particularly as I was studying the Middle Ages, yes, I came into contact with the, the, the Western Church, the Catholic Church, what we, we know as, as the Roman Catholic Church. That's all there was in the Middle Ages. There was no Protestantism. In the West, there was simply Catholicism, or, or a bunch of very, very small heretical groups, which were... Um, uh, w w which couldn't flourish very well uh, in in certainly the latter Middle Ages um, because of the because of um, inquisitions and things like that. The desire of the, uh, the desire of the uh, uh, of the, ch uh, the the church was wedded to the state. You see, or they weren't the same thing, but they worked in union with each other. And uh, in order to maintain the unity of civilization in the West, uh, her heresy. Heresy that was preached and that caused divisions couldn't be tolerated because you want to preserve unity. Anyway, that's by and by. Um, the point is that all there was was Western Catholicism. In the Eastern world, there was this other kind of Christianity that I knew nothing about, and it was the Orthodox Church. The, the Greek Orthodox, the Russian Orthodox, and the other kinds of uh, Orthodox, like the Romanian Orthodox. And, uh, yeah, I was I was reading about them, and goodness me, I mean, it really, you know, sparked a, a great interest for me in, in Eastern Orthodox Christianity. I thought, well, I don't like Catholicism. I really don't like Catholicism. I did not like Roman Catholicism. That's what I thought at the time, <laughs> you know, because this, was, this was, had been what I'd been taught and what I'd been exposed to as, as a Protestant. Um, I had, uh, you know, the Roman Catholic Church was constantly disparaged. I didn't really, and I didn't really understand Roman Catholicism very well, so I just didn't like it. And I, I knew about the bad points of the Roman Catholic Church's, uh, the Catholic Church's history and things like that as well. So uh, I didn't find it terribly endearing. I just sort of saw the, the papacy as this kind of, uh, this kind of major, power thing that couldn't possibly be from God. Um, um, it was just all about human pride. But I, I, I so, so I, I, I looked east and I thought, hmm, this is interesting. <laughs> um, and, they, and they're not, and they, they're not in union with the papacy either. They don't believe in a papacy. Um, but, but it, as, as I, I, I thought, I, I need to understand more about this. So after I studied the Middle Ages, I decided. I mean, one of the things that struck me, which is which was remarkable, is uh, how many images there were in the Middle Ages, both in the East and West. Image. I mean, they, they, there was. This was seen as so central to the heart of the Christian faith, whether images in worship are legitimate or not. I mean, that that surprised me. <laughs> and and then the other thing was. 
the other thing was Mary. You know, I, I thought Mary was principally was basically just a Roman Catholic thing, but I discovered that in the East, Mary was venerated everywhere. And I, again, I thought, hmm, okay, um, this is certainly not just a Catholic thing. Um, am I missing something? I mean, it seemed to me that when I looked at Scripture, it seemed to me that 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 oh. I'll have to take a quick break now. I was speaking about the Virgin Mary. It seemed to me that when I looked at scripture, I, I just couldn't see Mary's importance very much. I mean, obviously she was important, but she wasn't like on every page of the Bible. So I was thinking, okay, if she was, then I'd have to take this more seriously. But um, it is interesting that, you know, I, she's universally venerated. The only place she's not venerated is in Protestant Christianity, but she's venerated in traditional Western Christianity, i.e. Catholicism, Roman Catholicism, and she's venerated all over the East. And uh, I later discovered that every Eastern church uh, venerates Mary, um, the, even the the non-Eastern Orthodox churches, the the Coptic Church and the Church of Armenia, and these have their own histories, and, and all these churches uh, venerate Mary. So, so this was quite illuminating for me when I studied the Middle Ages, and I thought, Do you know what, I'd like I'd like to get to know Eastern Orthodoxy uh, better. So I bought a few books and I started to read and study and they pointed me, the Eastern Orthodox pointed me to the early church. Their claim was we are the church of the early church. That's what they were saying. We believe the same things that the early church believed. And so I thought, well, I'm going to have to study the early church, aren't I? So I'd studied a bit of the early church for my degree, but I hadn't really read many primary sources. I hadn't really read what many of the church fathers had said or or what the theologians had said what the church really said in this so i got all of this books and some material and i started to read quotations what do they say on baptism what do they say on the holy eucharist what do they say on this what do they say on that and uh, <laughs> i was astonished at how catholic they seemed and I was astonished at how well they truly did seem to line up with what the Eastern Orthodox believed. And my theology and my beliefs started to change. And I won't go into the, the, what started to change. That's, I suppose that wouldn't be suitable right now. But basically, I started to become less and less evangelical and less and less Protestant. And I started to have far more respect for historic, historical Christian tradition. And I started to doubt myself and my own abilities to interpret the Bible on my own. I started to doubt that more and more. And I suppose there was a, a crunch point, really. Uh, and this was, this was March, April time. 2017. So I did a lot of study in that in, in, the, in those few months and by March or April 2017 I had come to a very fixed conclusion that I couldn't 
be a Protestant anymore. I couldn't believe in Protestantism. And the reason I couldn't believe in Protestantism came down to this idea of the Bible alone. This is the Protestant claim. The Protestant claim is, uh, every Protestant church claims this. This is what sets them apart. That the Bible alone is the only, inf the only infallible authority in Christianity and for Christians. And I sat down one night and I thought, I am going to think through that issue and come up with a decisive conclusion. Because I need to make a decision one way or the other here. Is the Bible alone the only infallible authority for Christians? And I think I managed to pour out about 17 reasons <laughs> as to why that just couldn't be the case. There were a couple which were very, very powerful arguments. And uh, I suppose I could mention, uh, mention one or two of them here. Um, the first was that this idea of the Bible alone, that the Bible is the only infallible authority, the only infallible authority for Christians, is just not explicitly taught in the Bible. And uh, therefore, why does one need to believe in it if it's, if it's not taught in the if it's not taught in the Bible? Then why does one have to believe in it? It seems self-contradictory to hold to a, a belief that isn't actually explicitly taught in the Bible. And uh, and Protest uh, most Protestants admit this. Most Protestants concede that it's not explicitly taught in the Bible. This idea that the Bible is the only infallible authority. So that was one thing. But the other was. Um, the other was the idea that um, of, of where we actually got the Bible from, which was something I had never really properly, fully thought through. I'd sort of taken it as a given that the Bible that I held in my hand had, you know, always been accepted by Christians everywhere and that it was just a no-brainer. But actually... The history of how the Bible was put together is 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 rather complex. Um, right, right into the sort of fourth, fourth end of the fourth century, there were still certain books that were heavily doubted in a good deal of, of Christendom. Um, so the book of Hebrews, the book of Revelation, for instance, didn't get fully accepted by the Christian world till, till the end of the fourth century. Um, and then uh, there were there were other gospels around. I mean, we know this. For instance, you might know it from the Da Vinci Code. There were there were lots of other gospels that were written in the early church uh, period, and uh, like the Gospel of Thomas, for instance, which is is pr perhaps qu quite a, an interestingly early gospel. Certainly comes from a, a, a very early tradition, actually, um, and yet the Gospel of Thomas wasn't accepted as scripture. Um, so. Who put the Bible together and why do we have the Bible that we've got? And I suddenly, in a moment, realised, oh my goodness, the Bible cannot sort this issue out. <laughs> the Bible can't tell us which books should be in the Bible and which books should not be in the Bible. Um, so, for instance, uh, Catholics accept extra books in the Old Testament. Pro Protestants uh, have seven books less in their Bibles than Catholics. And Catholics have extra books like, for instance, the Book of Maccabees, 
or wisdom of Solomon. But you won't find a Bible text anywhere in the Bible which says that Maccabees should not be accepted as scripture or should be accepted as scripture. You won't find anywhere in the Bible uh, a, a statement that the book of Hebrews ought to be accepted or that the four gospels ought to be accepted. I mean, we just don't have this inspired contents page in the Bible. And I, I mean, that uh, that point just completely overwhelmed me. It was something I'd never thought about before. And I thought, my goodness, if that is true, then it means that we were given the Bible from the church. <laughs> uh, and and that, that means that the church put the Bible together. I've been trusting in the church this whole time. Um, and, and this is actually something that the Bible cannot sort out. I need the church to sort this out. And it just seemed to me to be a complete self-contradiction of this idea that the Bible alone is the only infallible authority for Christians. If that's true, then then we're, we're basically stuck for how to even put the Bible together. Um, so I realised that I, I, I uh, subliminally and subconsciously had to have been believing in an infallible church all along, because I believe I have an infallible Bible uh, and that the books that are in there sh- are those that should be in there and the books that are not in there should not be in there. Um, and the one who made that decision was the Catholic Church in the 4th century. And uh, I mean, I just r- realised, goodness, I'm <laughs> I've already accepted the, the Catholic Church. I've already, or I've, or I've already accepted the Church. Um, so anyway, I couldn't, uh, I don't know if that makes sense, but it, it just seemed to me that there was just no way I could keep believing this idea that all I need is the Bible and that only the Bible is infallible. It seemed to me that the church also has to be infallible. Otherwise, I'm stuck with the problem that I don't actually have an infallible Bible, that some of the books could be wrong. <laughs> there could be some wrong books in there. There could, there could be books missing, you know, um, so anyway, um, I, I, I realised I just couldn't um, believe in, in, in Protestantism anymore. And uh, I will just do another talk after this to explain where I went from there. Okay, so... I, th- we're around about March, April, a- April time, 2017, and I had realised I just can't be a Protestant anymore. And th- this was quite, it was it was th- really thrilling and exciting, but kind of uh, maybe a bit anxious, you know, because this was all I'd ever known. I mean, my, e- even going to Orthodox churches, I think I'd only been to one or two services, and, and I'd, I'd, I'd enjoyed it, actually. Um, but it was still all unfamiliar territory, you know, it was very alien, it wasn't, I wasn't in my comfort zone, but I wanted the truth. I wanted the truth, and I just, I, I really just felt that I couldn't properly find the truth in Protestantism, so, uh, and I didn't want to be following something that was wrong, so, or that I thought was wrong. Um, so I, my next step, well, what are my options? At the time, I thought, I've got two options here. The first is I become a Catholic. That's out. 
I just scrapped that immediately because I thought, do you know what? I just don't believe Catholicism is true. You know, and as I said, I didn't really understand Catholicism very well. I just, but I turned, I turned away from it because I just, I put it to one side and thought, I'm not going with that because of what I'd been told about Catholics and told about the Catholic Church. It had been so deeply ingrained into me that, you know, stay away from Catholicism. So I thought, well, I've got this other option here and I really love what I've been reading of Eastern Orthodoxy. I enjoy the services and that uh, they don't have a Pope. And, it, and, and it's so much like the early church. I'm going to go and pursue Eastern Orthodoxy. So I, I started going to a Greek Orthodox church uh, throughout 2017. And, and I, you know, I was very, very, I was very convinced of it. You know, I thought that I finally found my spiritual home. There were a few things that niggled. Uh, I won't go into those. Um, well, it wasn't, it wasn't as accessible as I would have liked it to be. So I had to travel quite far um, to to get to an Orthodox church, and whereas there were Catholic churches on my doorstep that sometimes actually I would go to when I couldn't make Orthodox services, and, and that helped me to get to know what Catholics were like. But um, I started to be concerned actually about this split between the Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church. You know, as I continued to study and continue to read, I, I began to be very aware of just how similar their beliefs were, actually. That they were far closer to each other than any of them were to Protestantism. And it's, they, had, they had shared a thousand years together, these two churches, and then in 1054, or more, more down at the, the real local level actually more more around about the 1204 actually um there isn't a, there isn't a, a definitive date but basically sometime in the early second millennium these two churches the orthodox and catholic church had drifted so far apart that they just could no longer be in communion they did some horrible things to each other and they were accusing each other of heresy and of not believing the right faith, and ma mainly to do with uh, the I issues like uh, differences in, uh, in to do with the Trinity, and most especially the Pope and the claims of the papacy, which the Orthodox churches just couldn't felt they couldn't accept. But all that, all that to one side, I was still, I was still amazed at how much they had in common, and I started to think. Do you know what? I, I I mean, it started to bother me a little bit that the that the bishop. You know, I've got my orthodox cap on here, and the the orthodox believe that the bishop of Rome, the pope, has gone astray. You see, and I started to sort of. I knew how important the pope was in history. I knew how he'd always been like a pillar of orthodoxy in that first millennium, and the, the Church of Rome was a really big deal to the early church fathers, and. I, I just, it started to make, I started to think, well, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's annoying, it's troubling that it, allegedly it's the, it's the Roman bishop that's gone astray. I mean, it could have been any other bishop and it wouldn't have bothered me so much, but the fact that apparently it was the Roman bishop that had gone astray, I was thinking, mm, you know, and, uh, well, anyway, I started to wonder about reunion 
towards the toward at the beginning of 2018, I really started to think about the reunion of these these churches uh, and also of the Oriental Orthodox churches, the Coptic Church, for instance. I started to study a bit of their theology and realized that they they are so similar to the Eastern Orthodox and yet they're not in communion with each other. The Oriental Orthodox aren't in communion with the Eastern Orthodox and it's just, it's just, you know, there were were these long-standing splits that had happened in the fifth century and the early second millennium and I'm thinking, you know, for the vast majority of things, we all believe the same things. You know, we're far there's we're far there's far more in common that we share than any of us share with anything in Protestantism. So I started to think about reunion. You know, can these churches all get back together, and and how awesome that would be. Well, uh, I started to do a bit of reading, and. Thought, I, 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 I started to sort of, through reading historical documents and, and reading people who've written on reunion, Orthodox people, mind who'd, who'd written on possibility of reunion someday with the Catholic, Catholic Church, I, I started to give a lot of thought to the papacy, to the Pope. And as I said, I, I, I began to realise that there were some very high claims of the papacy that were made in the in the early centuries, like the fifth century, for instance, um, and at ecumenical councils, so so major church councils that involved the entire church, you know, in East and West, even in those councils, there there were some very high claims made about the papacy, about how the the, the Pope is the Archbishop of all the churches, for instance, um, and and the, the statements like. The, the, apos- the holy apostolic church at Rome that that, that yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and th- these these statements made me think that's what I'm trying to say they made me think and I began to become just increasingly uncomfortable with the idea that well Rome's just gone astray and she's gone into heresy or she's gone into schism and I just thought I'm gonna have to think through this you know well, I I thought, do you know what? I've never really considered Catholicism, have I? <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the, the passive, uh, preachers I'd listened to had done a good job. You know, they'd really put me off Catholicism. Um, and they hadn't really understood what it was all about, actually. Um, so I thought, do you know what? I'm going to have to... So I bought the Catechism of the Catholic Church. <clears throat> And I started to read it, and I started to study those those sections. There weren't many where the Orthodox disagree, and I started to find that the Catholic arguments seemed to be very logical and very persuasive and very consistent. I thought that's all well and good, but the one big issue is the Pope. Is is the Pope the rock of Christianity? Because if the Pope is the rock of the church, then I need to become a Catholic. Now, Protestants and Orthodox, they do not believe that the Pope is the rock of the church. That's the unique claim of Catholicism. And so again, I gave a lot of, I gave some, a lot of thought to this issue, and some, some very intense thought over a few weeks. And I swayed back and forth, and eventually, 
I I sort of had a an awakening, if you like. <laughs> I was I was at Carew uh, Castle in Pembrokeshire, and I was walking through this this middle aged castle. Lo- I love the Middle Ages, as I said before, and I love stuff from the Middle Ages. And I was there, and I was imagining what life must have been like there. And there was a there was an you know a chapel there, or a room for a chapel. And I was out in the grounds, and I was just thinking. Do you know what you've got you've got all these historic churches you've got the oriental orthodox who claim to be the true churches they claim that the eastern orthodox churches and that the catholic church are, are wrong <laughs> and you've got the eastern orthodox who claim that the oriental orthodox and the catholic church are wrong and then you've got the catholic church who claims that the oriental orthodox and the Eastern Orthodox have broken off from the Catholic Church. And I thought, do you know what? Um, it seems to me that there is no, there's no objective proof for the Oriental Orthodox claim um, or for the Eastern Orthodox claim. Um, because when the Eastern Orthodox claim to be the, 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 the true church you know, they, they argue it on the basis of history and theology but it's kind of subjective really because others see things differently when they look at that same evidence and the oriental orthodox they when they argue that they're the true ones they similarly they 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 do it on the basis of history and theology and again it's, it's nothing objective here i mean who's to know which one's right however when you come to the Catholic Church, they've got something that seems to be objective proof that they are the true historical church founded by the Apostles, and the, 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 the other churches as well are all founded by the Apostles. That's, that's why disunion amongst, them is, is, amongst all these churches is so terrible. The Oriental Orthodox churches were founded by Apostles, and the Eastern Orthodox churches were founded by Apostles, and the Catholic Church is founded by Apostles. So the, all these churches were founded by apostles. They've all got apostolic succession, and they've all got real sacraments, and yet they're not in union. <laughs> and it seemed to me that it was only the Catholic Church which had something truly objective, which marked her out as the Catholic Church of history, the true Catholic Church that we have that we have to be united to and have to be in. And that's the person of the Pope, the Pope of Rome. And, and you say, well, you know, that's that's all well and good, but can you prove the papacy? Well, I guess for me, I couldn't prove it directly, but it seemed to me that it could be proved indirectly <laughs> in that those who argue against it seem to me to not be able to defeat it. You, I, I, I would listen to debates between and read debates online between Orthodox and Catholics to help me think through this issue. And when it came to the issue of the Pope, everything that was brought up by by the Orthodox about why the papacy is wrong and why it's not true, the Catholic Church seemed to have a sensible answer to it. And I thought, you know what, like, the Orthodox seemed to have trouble here defeating this claim 
This is a claim that's, uh, that no one seems to be able to defeat, actually, definitively. Um, and I thought, do you know what? If the claim can't be defeated, I mean, I, I basically just ran out of arguments against the papacy. <laughs> it seemed to me to be this, this thing that transcended arguments and that was just there. And no matter how much you argue against it, it always has a good response. Um, which sort of lands you in a kind of sceptical approach where you think, well, um, the Orthodox have a good point, have good points, and the Catholics have good points, and yet, you know, who's right? Uh, I don't know if the Orthodox are right. I don't know if the Catholics are right. So nobody can disprove the papacy. <laughs> Here he stands. Uh, um, and that, that to me is what convinced me, actually. Um, yeah, that that nobody seemed to be able to defeat, to definitively defeat the claims of the papacy. The, these claims seem to be so radical and so out, so outrageously high and mighty that that ultimately these claims seemed to come from God, um, and uh, and this this seemed also to. Uh, you know, obviously, if a claim comes from God, you're not going to be able to defeat it. No matter what evidence you marshal, uh, you, you're not going to be able to find proof out there because there won't be any proof out there. If something comes from God, then no matter how much you argue against it, you will never be able to overthrow it with argumentation because it's just, it's from God. And God is the highest, God is the highest uh, source of proof there is. So um, that is that's why I came round to believing in the the, the the real need for me to be uh, joined to the the apostolic see, the holy see, the, the pontiff, the pope, the pope of Rome, and that it became it really started to be on my conscience. I, I need to become a Catholic. So uh, so that's what I that's what I did and. Um, that, and that's sort of my my story, really. Um, I, the more I the more I studied Catholicism, um, and the more I met Catholics and spoke to them, the more I looked into uh, the, the saints, the Catholic saints. Um, the more I fell in love with it. And uh, you know, I've been Catholic now since March two thousand and nineteen. So I've been Catholic for uh, over a year and a half. And I just keep falling in love more and more with the Catholic Church. Um, yes, she's, yes, there are parts of Catholic history that are really unpleasant and not nice. I'm aware of all that stuff. That, to me, does not disprove the Catholic Church's claims. Um, yes, I'm aware that certain Catholics uh, and certain members of the Catholic hierarchy have done lots of bad things some really bad things i'm aware of all that stuff and it and it's off-putting of course it is but still that does not disprove the claims of the catholic church what i again what i'm interested in what i've always been interested in is where do i find the truth not subjectively i ain't interested in what i think well, what do I think? What's, what do I find comfortable? Or what do I like the sound of? That, that's, that's, that to me is just subjectivism. It's relativism. I, I believe in objective truth because I believe passionately in the existence of God. 
And uh, just like the existence of numbers and the existence of mathematics and the existence of laws in this universe that have nothing to do with me, <laughs> they just exist. Likewise, God just exists. And God is truth and the foundation of truth. And therefore, objective truths exist, whether I like them or not, and objective morals and objective laws exist. Whether I like them or not, whether my government disagrees with them or not, they exist. And my job has been, my search in my, uh, a good deal of my life has been, where do I find the truth? And I believe that I have come to the end of my quest. I believe that I have found uh, God's religion, the, the Holy Catholic Church. And I am so, so grateful to God for making me a Catholic because I just feel so privileged. And I do this podcast because I want everybody <laughs> to think about the Catholic faith and to explore it and perhaps go to Catholic churches and to also have what I've got um, because it's just so it's to me it's the it's the meaning of life and it's it is it makes sense of everything it makes sense of why why the universe is and why humans exist why I'm here um, anyway God bless every single one of you I hope you've enjoyed this and I hope it's made some sort of sense about why I've gone on the spiritual journey that I've gone on. I could tell you my exploration of other religions. Of course, I haven't just looked into Christianity. I have recently been studying a lot of Islam and thinking about those claims. And I've studied Hinduism. And yes, I've, I've thought about, uh, very seriously about agnosticism and atheism. Of course, you know, I, it's, I've considered these things. But I still keep coming back again and again to the rock, the Holy Catholic Church that God has implanted into this world and that has given the world so much, especially the Western, the Western world, Western civilization. The Catholic Church has given us so much. Um, so I, I, will, I will stop there because there's not much more. Well, there is lots more I could say, but I will stop there for now. And uh, Thank you very much for listening. God bless.